Good evening. They thought that when they cut them down, the flame would flicker out. And then the world will continue to wonder what this fuss was all about. He's just another creature, a fallen human teacher. He'll fade away like ashes in the wind. But then he rose again. There is no denying my Jesus. He wants to know you. Can't you hear him calling? You may choose to stay or walk away, but still you can't deny that our Jesus will never be denied. Never. So uh, we're going to take a little departure tonight from Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to dig into uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So for those who came prepared to hear Daniel, we're just going to take a slight hiatus till probably uh, third Sunday, Lord willing. Then we can go back. But for now, uh, there's a message for all of us. And well, let's pray. Father, we just uh, give thanks for how you've just blessed us well beyond measure one more day, Father. So we're just so grateful to be called your children and so thankful that you know us and that we know you, Father. So we give you praise and honor. We thank you for the sweet worship that you've already provided for us through our sister. And we pray, Father, as always, that your word will be rightly divided. We just found it just such a blessing to wake up this morning and find new mercies on our pillow knowing that your word says your mercies are new every morning. So we just give uh, you praise and honor for that, Father. So again, we just, uh, we just want to give you thanks for this opportunity to share with one another, Father, to encourage and be encouraged, and that you would have your way in this place tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, before we get started, um, you know, there was something that really touched my heart tonight. And uh, it, uh, first of all, it was a song. You're, you're, the, you're the air that I breathe. And, and, you know, I'm desperate without you. I'm lost without you. And I was asked tonight by uh, one of us, what, what, is, what is it that caused me to become a pastor? And I don't know if I've become a pastor Seriously, uh, because I'm still Richard. I'm still Richard, and, and the thing that motivates me to continue to seek the Lord is, uh, you've heard this before, some of you, but uh, just a short story. I grew up in a Christian home. At the age of 19, I turned away. I got on my, out on my own, away from mom and dad, and you know now I can do anything I want. And I did everything I wanted, but it didn't turn out to a positive, to be positive. And so from the age of 19 to the age of 26, I went in a lot of different directions, and some of them were not good. And so the Lord never took his hands off. He kept his hands on me during that whole time and uh, went into a lot of places that were dark, a lot of places that were wet and cold. Uh, doing a lot of dangerous things, and uh, at any given moment, that could have been it. But the Lord says, I got a purpose for your life. I got something for you. And at that point, I started going back to church. I was still going to church, but I had a different motive. That's all I could say about that. And um, he just said, I had some things that I was trying to clean up. And he says, and I went there, and, and the pastor at this particular time said, come as you are. That had a very profound effect on my heart at that moment because I knew where I was going, it was in a direction of sin. And I remembered from growing up that it was very specific that all sin leads to death. And I didn't want to die at 26, 30, maybe, but not 26. So, uh, so it wasn't a, a matter of me making a decision. I think I'll become a pastor. 
even though I've been issued that badge, it still doesn't resonate with me as far as the way my heart is. Just being richer, just teaching the word of God, just preaching, encouraging anybody who wants to hear. And I get to hear a lot of people, their messages towards whether they want to serve the Lord or not. I hear those who define their stumbling as failure. I hear those who define the the area of sin that they're caught in as failure. And God has never given up on you. God has never given up on me. And God provides me with all the encouragement that I need right among this body of believers and my my maternal family. So uh, just uh, just be encouraged that he has a plan for all of us. And my life is no exception. But I can't really say I made a decision. He made a decision that this guy could be a problem. So I'm going to put him in a position where he's closer to me and he's less inclined to get in trouble. And, and I'm very serious about that because you guys have heard me say just in my very heart, I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to leave the one I love because I grew up in a world that offered big and shiny and bright and fast and whatever, and I bought into it. So I just want to encourage each and every one of you to don't buy into it. The world has, the only motive that the world has for you is to take you out. You're going out, but it doesn't have, you don't have to be taken out by the world. So as we go through this tonight, just, let's reflect on that. And uh, this message we've used for uh, maybe one or two of you, maybe, but uh, in Second uh, Corinthians 4, I titled this Courage for the Conflict. And so that's very appropriate for a time such as this, because there's a lot going on. A lot of things that are going on around us, a lot of uh, people are feeling uh, fail, that they fail, they're fe- feeling uh, destroyed, that they can be destroyed very easily, and even the love for God is fading in their lives. So that's what we are here for. We're here to encourage, to, to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel, and preach the go- gospel simply. It's not complicated. It's just a question of only believe. So, Second um, Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have the, the ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifest, manifestation of the truth, Commending ourselves to every man, uh, I'm sorry, every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds are, who, who minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness and who has shown on our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are called to be light and salt. And that's our mission. If you are a child of God, if you are committed to the faith, if you are committed to the the ministry that you've been given, your mission is to shine on others. And if you'll note, for those of us who have seen a lighthouse, note, lighthouse doesn't make any noise. It just shines. It guides. It gives you a sense of direction. So we don't have to go out and, 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 and teach and, and overbear, overburden them with our words because believers and non-believers alike are going to see your life before they hear your words. So that way the lighthouse doesn't have to make any noise. All it has to do is shine. 
be conscious of that, folks. We think that we're going to impress them with the fact that we know a lot of scripture. We think that we're going to impress them with the fact that, you know, we can we can say all these these wonderful words and encourage someone. And that may be so, but for the majority of people, the majority of our neighbors, they're watching you. Like it or not, you're under a microscope. If you claim to be a child of God, you are under a microscope. They may not always uh, say something about it, but they are watching. And not just the the non-believers, but the believers alike. Because we can talk a good game about how devoted we are to the cause, but are you living it? And that's where the the rubber meets the road as as it goes. The key theme of this section is repeated in verses 1 and 16. We faint not. Literally, Paul said, we do not lose heart. And that's what I want to encourage us, us, you and me, to not lose heart. It's, I won't say it's easy to do, but it's not difficult not to do. We can lose heart as something that's things that we can't really control, things that we can do nothing about. Yet, let we, uh, yet we lose heart. And if you think about an example of what's going on in our world today, you know, we pray about it, but some of us are losing sleep as a result of that. So you lose sleep and you get up in the morning, what's changed except the fact that you lost sleep? You couldn't change that. And prayer does change things, but that's the thing that we need to focus on, praying for the things that are going on around us. And there's some who will argue with, well, what's the point in praying? God already has an outcome. His will is going to be done. Uh, that's a defeatist attitude because you can take that attitude towards everything. Someone's breaking into my house. What are you going to do? Well, I'm not going to do anything. That's just God's will. Would you ever take that attitude? No, you would not. So what makes you think that you shouldn't be concerned about all the atrocities that are going on around us? And we could name them, but you all know. You all know the things that are just out of line with what the Lord would have. But we don't know his will. That doesn't mean that you just give up. And that's what we're going to see in Paul. And when I, when I use the name Paul, I would like for you to put yourself in that position. God is not a, a respect of persons. So do you think he would have done anything in Paul's life that he will not do in yours? The answer is no. And we do not lose heart. There were plenty of reasons for a discouragement in Paul's situation. Plenty. Stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, thrown over the wall, you name it. Yet he did not quit. What kept Paul from fainting in the conflicts of life? He knew what he possessed in Jesus Christ. Instead of complaining about what he did not have, Paul rejoiced in what he did have. Can the same be said about you and me? Are we rejoicing in what we have? Or are we complaining about what we don't have? Keep in mind, everything is God's will. Everything. Uh, I had an opportunity to, to share with someone at the doctor's office this week, and uh, I had on a, a shirt, uh, lean, uh, Proverbs, said, lean not into your own understanding. She says, do you really believe that? I said, with all my heart. Well, I used to believe in God, and then my father died a few weeks ago. And so she just doesn't have that same belief. Now, the problem with that is that's a very selfish attitude. So even though her father was suffering, she would rather see him suffering than go and be with the Lord. And she would never admit it, and we would never admit that, but that's the attitude. It's selfish. Why would he take away someone that I love? Because he knew the beginning from the end. He knew that this person is only going to get worse. They're going to suffer more. So why wouldn't he take them out, which he did? But she's not the only one. I've had an opportunity to meet many that felt that way. Why would a loving God take away my son, my daughter, my mother, my father? my sister, my brother. That's not love. It is. It really is. And that's hard for us to comprehend because 
We base everything around us. And God knows best. So let's be like Paul. Let's not quit. Uh, Meditate on a verb such as glorying in tribulation. So, Lord, I like it when you squash me like a bug, squash me like a worm. No, I don't. But we have to learn what it means to glory in tribulation. And that's what the Lord teaches us. And, uh, you know, Job said, though you slay me, I will continue to trust you. That's not... uh, a fleshly thinking there. That's spiritual thinking, and that's where we want to be. We want to know that no matter what he's doing, no matter how difficult or what we're going through right now, he's in it. He's in it. He's in it. Again, a, a phrase that I use often, the same God that's with us on the mountain is with us in the valley. And think about it. You know, we well, praise the Lord. He's really blessing me here. Oh, man, the enemy is really attacking me here. No, my friends, that's really not it. God is in it no matter what, no matter what you're going through, those tough times and those times that we feel like we're being fruitful. God is in it. First of all, uh, with this in verse uh, chapter 4, 1 through 6, it talks about we have a glorious ministry. What does that mean? Therefore... It says, seeing we have this kind of ministry is a literal translation of what Paul wrote. What kind of ministry? The kind described in the previous chapter, a glorious ministry uh, that brings life, salvation, and righteousness. A A ministry that is able to transform lives. This ministry was and is a gift. We receive it from God. If it is given to us because of God's mercy, not because it is given to us because of God's mercy and because of any and not because of anything we have done. And we can reference that in first Timothy one, twelve through seventeen. Not gonna go into those verses because there's a lot that I would like to cover tonight. So I'm just gonna mention mention them as reference. And and the way we look at our ministry helps to determine how we fulfill fulfill it. If we look upon serving Christ as a burden instead of a privilege. We will do only what is a drudge and do only what is required of us. Our positive attitude towards our ministry should have some practical consequences in our life. Why are you doing that? Well, because uh, I want to be seen by the senior pastor. I want him to see me working. I want him to see me teaching. I want him to see me uh, ministering to the people in the body. It's a wrong attitude. Whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord. That should be our attitude, no matter what it is. If he has not called you to ministry, it's going to be a burden. And that's why those of us who get to teach, we know it's an honor, it's a privilege. It's not a burden. And when it gets to be a burden, it's time to step back. And I pray to God that it'll never get to be that for me. And if it is, I'll understand that it's his will. Okay, Richard, it's time to take a, take a little rest there. And I'll, I will definitely honor that. It's going to be a challenge because it, within my flesh, I, I love to do this. I love it. Even in the spirit, not only do I love it, but there's nothing else that I would rather do than come in and share the gospel with my friends. Nothing. And, and I appreciate you guys coming out. It's just It's just wonderful. Another thing with this glorious ministry is a positive attitude kept Paul from being a quitter. In spite of his great gifts and vast experience, Paul was human and subject to human frailties. But how could he lose heart when he was involved in such a wonderful ministry? Would God have entrusted this ministry to him if he, were, if he might fail? Of course not. With the divine calling came the divine enabling if God calls, God's going to provide. Always remember that. If he calls you to a ministry, he's going to provide for you to be effective in that ministry. Always, no matter what it is. Now, it's up to you to seek. Where do you want me? There's a spot for every one of us. Every person here and in the sound of my voice. There's a place for you and you alone. 
You know, when he says uniquely and wonderfully made, he meant it. You have a gift that nobody else can be the substitute for. Every, everyone here, no matter how you feel about it, no matter how you're struggling, he's got a plan for your life and a plan much better than what you're going through right now. And, uh, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness, adulterating, adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the light of God. False teachers. I've heard it before that anybody can teach a sermon. I personally don't know if that's true. Uh, simply because I could get here and I could put together some words and, and just share it with you guys. But I don't know if I could do it without my heart being in it. I really don't. That's why I say I, I don't totally believe in it. It may be true. Don't know. But for me personally, everything that I say to you from this pulpit or any place else that we talk is from the heart. And very rarely will you hear Rich's opinion. Rich's opinion doesn't really carry a lot of weight. Matter of fact, Rich's opinion doesn't carry any weight. But I'm going to teach, preach, minister from the word of God. And if you've got any questions, if you've got any concerns, any disagreement, go to God. He hasn't given me the heart to debate. I tried it three times. Didn't work. And then at that time, he, he arranged it so I would be in Second Timothy. And it told us how dangerous it was to debate the word of God. And I took that to heart. From that day on, everything changed. Everything. So I, I'm not going to debate if somebody doesn't agree with me about what the word of God says. It's not between you and me. It's between you and God. And those false teachers handle God's word in deceptive ways. We can prove anything by the Bible. I've done it. Even the, when I was living in a way that didn't honor God, I could find a scripture that would support it. And I've had people that would come to me, and when they asked me those questions, all of a sudden it took on a different meaning. Hey, Richard, show me in the Bible where it says that uh, fornication is not good. <laughs> really? Bro, I mean, you got a day to spare? And th this, is, this, is, this is true story. And someone actually brought that to me, showed me where that's bad. And it's like, that makes no sense. So this is another case where God says, Richard, zip it. There's nothing to be gained by getting into a debate about a question such as that. Another one, can I lose my salvation because I've fallen? No, you can't. But they feel that way. They feel like, I, I failed the Lord. I tripped and stumbled and fell down, so I failed him. No, you did not. The way we define failure and the way God defines failure are totally different. Are you willing to get up, start over and try it again? If you are, then you're, you're, you're lined up with his will because that's his desire, that all be saved, that all will come to him. We can prove anything by the Bible, provided we twist the scripture out of context and reject the witness of the, our conscience. If we treated other books the way we treat the Bible, we would never learn anything. Think about the books that you read in school. If you want to argue with uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth, you could. If you want to argue with Stephen King's whatever, I heard that. Ooh. <laughs> not, not Stephen King, no. If we treat other books, we would never learn anything. If Paul was such a faithful teacher of the word, then why didn't more people believe his message? And we could ask ourselves the same thing today. If, if, if I see your pastor uh, is such a faithful teacher of the word, then why don't, why, didn't more why don't more people believe his message? And I'm not saying they don't, 
but there's always a conflict, always. Well, I don't believe what you just said. Well, there it is in the Bible. It's up to you. But we, if we choose to, and especially the false teachers can take that and twist it to fit how we choose to live. It's just like the two prior questions that I just mentioned. I, I can twist it around to show where fornication is really not all that bad. You're not going to see that written in the scripture. But if you want to take this and twist those words around, you know, you can make yourself believe that it's okay. It's okay to live that lifestyle. And so many other things that are going on around us, so many things. Because the mind of the lost sinner is blinded by Satan or the enemy, and fallen man finds it easier to believe lies than to believe truth. And that is so true. And we see that going on around us today. You know, the people that are more prone to spend more time watching or following social media and filling their mind with lies than they are to spend time in the gospel, feeding their mind with the truth. There are a lot of them out there. So if, if this news bothers you so much, why do you watch it? Well, I just got to know what's going on around me. Does that really help you? Does it really need to help you how many troops were killed in Ukraine or Russia? Does that really help you? What's the influence that you get from that, those types of things? Does it really help you? Does it really help your mind to know that so many babies were destroyed during the course of a day? Does this really help you? Well, no, but I still got to know. How about filling your mind up with the gospel? How about digging into some scripture and learning the heart of God? But we got to know what's going on. You want to know what's going on? Read the, read the Bible. Read the Bible. What's going on with the war? Dig into uh, Ezekiel and find out, see what unions are being formed right now. We're not, don't want to get political, but just throwing that out there because I know this is common among us. We got to know. Is that God's will for you to know that? Does that benefit your life? Does that honor him? He will honor you if you honor him. Are you honoring him by allowing these things to come into your eye gates and your ear gates? And can't be critical, won't be critical of those who do that. It's their choice. And if he gave you free will, then I'm in no position to hinder that. Use that free will. Pray about it. Lord, would you have me to cut back on all this negative input that I get in my ear gates and eye gates? And see what he says about it. What he says about it just for you. We're bombarding ourselves with things that we can't do anything about. Because the mind of the lost sinner is blinded by Satan and fallen man finds it easier to believe the lies and to believe truth. As a, as a God of this age and the prince of this world, Satan keeps lost sinners in the dark. Satan uses religious teachers to deceive people. Many of the people who belong in cults today were originally members of Christian churches. That's hard to comprehend. But how could anyone be a Christian and then turn and organize a cult? Jeremiah, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And Jeremiah didn't make any exceptions for you or me. The heart of mankind is deceitfully wicked. So we don't know what we're capable of. Oh, I would never do that. <laughs> don't say that. Not a wise statement to make. You don't even know your own heart. The fact that Paul had received this ministry from Christ kept him from being a quitter and a deceiver but it also kept him from being a promoter. We preach not ourselves, as it says in, in verse 5. And Paul sought only to lead people to Jesus Christ and to build them up in the faith. Paul was not interested in having a fan club. A pastor is not interested in having a fan club for himself. The Judaizers operated in that way, but Paul rejected this kind of, that kind of ministry. So we have to be careful when uh, 
if we are involved in a ministry that we put uh, faith in numbers, very careful. Having a church within a church is deadly. We have to be careful that we don't try and surround ourselves with our fans because they're going to only lift us up. And I've seen too many that have been lifted up and so high until when they fell, they were crushed. You know, when Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, it happens to those among us. We have to be careful. The Judas operated in that way, but Paul rejected this kind of ministry. Okay, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested, manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested, manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And Paul now reflects on the humility of the clay vessel. In the kingdom of God, every vessel has a purpose. Every vessel has a, a particular duty that it serves. Some vessels in the, in the house are used to store precious jewelry. Some vessels in the house are used to store food. Some vessels in the house are used as a spittoon or to whole waste, but they all have a purpose. You have a purpose. You need to focus on what God is calling you to do. Not look around and say, oh, I wish I had the gifts that he does or she does. Because right as soon as you say that, you're defeated. Because right now, as we said earlier, Paul focused on what he did have and not what he did not have. Oh, I wish I knew how to operate the sounds. I wish I knew how to do the lights. I wish I knew how to be a musician. Whatever. There's so much that I can wish for, but I got none of those skills. What did he call me for? You know, when he did call me to be in the ministry... Uh, one thing that it is stress, I want you to be a part of revival. I don't know what that means even today. I really don't. What does that look like? What does revival look like, Lord? You'll see when you get there. And that's it. So I just let it go from that point on. The believer is simply a jar of clay. It is the treasure within the vessel that gives the vessel its value. What's in that vessel? Is it the jewelry, the precious jewelry of the house? Or is it for human waste? Is one any more important than the other? The answer is no. God decides what's in that vessel. And in this vessel, that heart determines what we are. Nothing else. He doesn't want us at our strength he wants us at our weakness. And that's hard for us to comprehend. Why would the Lord want me in our weakness? Because when we are weak, that's when he is strong. And we're going to be much better listening to his direction, following his direction than our own. The important thing about a vessel is that it must be clean, empty, and available for service. What do you mean clean? What do you mean empty and available? Each of us must seek to become a vessel unto honor, sanctified or set apart, and meet for the master's use and prepared for every good work. What do you mean prepare for every good work? We are vessels so that God might use us. We are earthen vessels so that we might depend on God's power and not our own. 
Too often we depend on our power. Your Lord, use me in my strength. But when he does that, we think that we're the one that's guiding. We think we're the one that's creating. We think we're the one that's leading the charge. So this is my strength. I've always done this. I've done this all my life, so I'm really good at it. That may not be what the Lord wants. He will use us in our strengths. His power, not ours. We must focus on the treasure and not the vessel. Too often we focus on the vessel. Oh, that's a very good-looking vessel there. How about the treasure that's in that vessel? And unfortunately for us, that's the way the world looks at things. On the outside. And sometimes outside only, that inside, that heart, that conscious, that spirit, doesn't really mean a whole lot. And they live accordingly because for a lot of the people that are out there and Christians and non-Christians alike, filthy lucre is a motivation. Money. Mammon. That's the motivation. So we as a vessel have to make sure that's not what we're filled with. We're filled with the spirit of God. And we, we are vessels so that God might use us. We are earthen vessels. So, so it's his power and not our own. Keep in mind, he wants to use you in your weakness. It's in our best interest for him to use us in our weakness. If I go on my strength, I don't think there's any room for failure. Because I'm really good at this. I'm really good at what I do. So I don't really need God. And I think for those seven years that I mentioned... Uh, I was there. I know I was because I had all the trappings of the world. Uh, young, brash kid. And I was with a, a major company who made sure that all my needs were met. Top of the world, Ma. Not so much. Bottom of the pit, Ma. But it took years to realize that. But the Lord knew that. He knew that I had to see that. He knew I had to go there. So for some of you right now who are struggling with where you are, you may feel like you're waddling in the mud. It's okay. God is doing the work. For those of you who, who've gone through it and he's bringing you through, praise the Lord. So how do I know when he's working in me? Well, there's never a time when he's not. But what about the pain and suffering that I have to go through? That can't be the Lord. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, why would he have me uh, go through pain when there's a much easier way? Did you ever stop to think that maybe he tried to take the path of least resistance for you and you ignored it? You didn't hear it. He was speaking to you, but we were too caught up in ourselves. So now i got to ramp it up. Have you ever thought about the fact that if you were going through some physical challenges, minor afflictions, that he may be using you to draw others to him? He may be using you to create a situation such as this. You know, we had three people who are instrumental to our, our, our time here out sick today dealing with health issues. Coincidence, maybe? I think not. You know, right now, I would have been sitting back there. Hector would have been in my seat. And uh, my name is on it. And I would have just been sitting back getting fed, probably from Second uh, Samuel. But the Lord says, I got something different tonight. Gave me an opportunity to meet a man tonight that I didn't know before. And uh, I know he's struggling. I don't know him, but I know he's struggling. Don't know what, but I know the Lord is in it. So the question is to encourage him through the word. Encourage him. And maybe the, the things that they need to hear were from uh, 2 Corinthians. Don't know. Maybe Daniel wouldn't have done it for him tonight. Don't know. All I know is, this is what the Lord asked me. This is what he, he instilled in me to go here for whatever reason. 
And I, I won't know the outcome. It may not be just for this one individual. Maybe somebody else in the room, what he's, what he's teaching us tonight may be instrumental just for them. Don't know. Just trying to be faithful. God sometimes permits our vessels to be shaken so that some of the treasure will spill out and enrich others. I will fill you to overfilling. I will pour out a blessing on you that you don't have enough room to receive. Why you give me so much, Lord? Because I want you to share it with your sisters and brothers. I want you to share it with your friends. I want to share it with uh, the stranger slash neighbor that you got a chance to meet. It will spill out and enrich others. Suffering not only reveals the weakness of the man, but also the glory of God. That's why when we go through those difficult times, it's the glory of God. It may seem like it's enriching you or sometimes not, but it's the glory of God. The natural mind cannot understand this kind of spiritual truth. Guilty. I don't understand it. I don't understand it why good people suffer. But they do. We do. I don't understand that. As we serve God, death works in us, but life works in those to whom we minister. That's the desire of my heart, to minister those who put more emphasis or spend more time speaking of death than they do of life. Death is a part of the process. There's no question about that. But that shouldn't be our focus. Lord, you have me here and now. What is your purpose for my life? Ask, ask, and he will tell you. He will show you. He will guide you. He will encourage you. He will stand side by side until the very end. He will do that. Are you willing to commit to that? That's the challenge. That flesh is relentless. It never stops. I want my way. Flesh is like a two-year-old. Me, 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 mine, mine, mine. The dreaded me monster with that dreaded eye disease. That's what we are. That's us. I want my way. I want to have things that I want. I want it now. That's us. Is that what the Lord wants from us? No. Therefore, we cannot understand why Christians triumph over suffering. We do. We do. Everyone in this room is an overcomer. Everyone in this room has, is, or was sick. Yet you overcame it. How did that happen? Well, I got a good doctor. Yeah, yeah, you do. The great physician. That's what you got. That's what we got to focus on. It's not of ourselves. As we serve Christ, death works in us, but life works in, in those who, whom we minister. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. There's always a cost, always. If you want to get out and you're going to minister to the body, if you're going to minister to your friends, your neighbors, your family, there's a cost. Always, folks. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Freedom ain't nothing if it ain't free. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Galatians 6, 17. The test of truth ministry is not stars, but scars. The test of true ministry is scars. There's some bruises that you can't see. This, if you were to look around the room and be able to see the bruises and the scars, you would not believe it. But I thought, you know, he had it all together. He's struggling just like me. The answer is yes. Yes. We are people of like passion. And there's nothing that you've gone through. There's nothing that you're going through. Or nothing that you will go through. That was the first time that happened. Nothing. 
well, you don't understand, brother. I got this unique situation. No, no. Somebody else is going through it. And what the Lord will do, if you allow, he will allow you to minister to that person. He will allow you to encourage and be encouraged by that person or those people. He will allow that. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing. So how do we do this? How do we arrange to, to go in and, and minister to others who maybe have a, a similar situation? Pray about it. Prayer. For those who don't have a strong belief in prayer, I would highly encourage you, try it. Try it. And as you continue to pray, as you learn to pray, then you will see the fruit of that prayer. If it be the Lord's will. Sometimes you may not see it. You spent 18 months ministering to your cousin. She never accepted it. She never bought it. That's it. I'll just give up on her. That's not the Lord's heart. He just continues to, to worship, continues to love on him. Don't ever give up on anyone. Don't ever quit. No one quit on you. Grandma prayed for you. Grandma's praying for some of you right now, right this minute, because she knows that you're struggling. She knows that you have created an, a reason in your mind, not an excuse, but a reason to turn away from the Lord. Why do you turn away from the Lord? Because he's not giving me what I want. Well, have you ever considered that might be a good thing? Well, not really, because if I had this, man, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be something. Yeah, you would be something, for sure. He knows what's best. So he will take you through these changes. He will take you through these trials. He will take you through these minor afflictions so that he can grow you, and not just you, but the ones around you. He will do that. He's proven it time and time again. We are privileged to have the treasure of the gospel in our vessels of clay. Don't give up. No surrender, no retreat. Once you surrender your life to him, that's the last time you need to surrender. Because there are going to be other camps battling for, for, your, for this vessel. There are going to be other camps battling for your heart. And the world does not stop. It can go from, you know, someone who's nine years old to someone who's 90 years old. It doesn't stop. Don't think that once you get to a certain age that, okay, we can cruise from here. I'm here to tell you from a personal experience that is not true. And there's some in the room who can verify that. Are you telling me that I'm going to be battling for the rest of my life? Yes. Yes, you are. On this side, you're going to be battling. It's that flesh and the spirit battling every single day. Every day. When you wake up in the morning and, and he's saying, okay, you got another shot. Take it. Don't allow the world to reel you in. It knows a lure that's, that's necessary to lure you in. And it will continue to use that lure over and over and over again. You never get to the point where you've grown out of being enticed by the world, ever. It doesn't happen. Fight the good fight. We have, uh, well, let's just read the last uh, few verses. Uh, let's go from, uh, hmm. let's go from 13 to 18. Second uh, uh, Corinthians 4, 13 to 18. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day.
For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do not build up your treasures on earth. It's all going to burn. It's all going to rot. It's all going to fade away. Do not build up your treasures. Paul now reflects on his... Uh, let's, let's go past that. We need to... I'd like to finish this. Uh, the phrase spirit of faith means attitude of faith. It's an attitude. A spirit of faith is an attitude of faith. And Paul was not referring to a special gift of faith, but rather to the attitude of faith that should belong to every believer. That attitude of faith should belong to you. He saw himself identified with the believer who wrote, I believe and therefore have I spoken. Uh, you can reference that in Psalm 116, uh, 10. 116, 10. Psalm 116, 10. Paul was very confident, not in himself, but in the assurance of God, that blessed assurance. Paul had those assurances because of his faith. And there's three reasons why he had that. And we're going to wrap it up with these. Paul was sure of ultimate victory. That's in verse 14. Because Jesus Christ had conquered death, why should we fear anything else? Do we know anything that has more of an impact than death? And that's why people give up when they lose a loved one because they think God has said, okay, I'm not for you anymore, I'm against you. Nothing else has more of an impact than death. And if Jesus had overcome that, why should we fear anything else? The world does everything it can to prepare for death, yet it has no answer to death. You're never ready. Never. Well, yeah, we do all these things. We get all these plans out, but are you ever ready for the actual death? The answer is no. You're not. And not only that, but we always think it was very untimely. This is an odd time to take my mother. This is an odd time to take my child. Is it? According to whose timetable? Until a person is prepared to die, that person is not prepared to live. If you have not prepared to die, then you are not prepared to live. It doesn't mean that your life is not worth anything, but 100% of us, unless we're raptured, are not going to get out of here alive. Don't want to discourage anybody. Don't want to sound morbid. Just stating the facts, my friends. 100% of us are going to die. Paul was sure, number two, Paul was sure that God would be glorified in verse 15. Uh, this verse parallels Romans 8.28 and gives us the assurance that our sufferings are not wasted. Your sufferings are never wasted. God was the very first one in the recycling business. He recycles everything. He recycles uh, pain. He recycles suffering. Well, why is that, brother? Because if you've gone through that, in those seven years that I went through it, now I can take that information. I can share it with my brother or my sister. Well, how'd you come out of that? I didn't think I would, but the Lord knew. So I can share with you and you and you about what he did and how. It wasn't anything that I did. It wasn't because I was such a good person. Uh, but he just thought, okay, let's pull this guy out of the, the muck and mire and do something with him, something that honors me, which is what he did. So he's always looking to do that. He doesn't waste anything. God gives us the abundant grace we need to maintain joy and strength when the going gets difficult. You notice I didn't say happiness and strength. Simply because I can be happy by surrounding myself with the things that I like. 
keep in mind, they're going to be temporary. Nothing that I surround myself with on this side is going to last. Nothing. And there are things that have already uh, become strangely dim as a result of giving my life to Christ. They've already become strangely dim. And that let me know you're heading in the right direction, my son. Whatever you're holding on to that you think is really benefiting you, you might want to pray about it. Lord, would you really have me to hold on to these things? Is this going to glorify you? Or does this glorify you in any way? And if the answer is no, then you should immediately, and this is easy for me to stand here and say it, immediately let go. Cast those things as far away as you can. And you will find that your life is going to be so much better. It's hard. The world has trained us, brainwashed us, into thinking we got to have everything that the Joneses have. I don't fish, but I, I still need a boat. Uh, really? Well, I need my car. I live two miles from work, and I, but I think I should have at least five cars. Really? I think all of my clothes should be very expensive. Okay. Is that what the Lord wants from us? God gives us the abundant grace we need to maintain joy and strength when the going gets difficult. Whatever begins with grace leads to glory. Anything that begins with grace always, always, always leads to glory. That's just our God. He's... uh, He's sovereign. So even though it may seem like he's not doing what's in our best interest, he really is. Regardless of how tragic or drastic it may seem, he's always working it out. And uh, last, last verse. Paul was sure that his trials were working for him, not against him. And when we live by faith in Christ, we get the right perspective on suffering. We don't like to suffer. Nobody likes to suffer, regardless of who you are. But we need to get the right perspective on suffering. And Paul pre- prevented seven, uh, excuse me, several contrasts. And we're going to wrap with this. What are those contrasts? Light affliction. I'm being afflicted, but just lightly. I don't want to be afflicted at all. I don't want light affliction. I don't want any affliction. But Paul expressed light affliction. Paul expressed the weight of glory. The weight of glory? Why should glory be weighty? I thought the burden was light. So why wouldn't glory be? Now it should be light glory, maybe, but that's not it. Paul says weight of glory. Momentary Eternal. Do you want temporal or do you want something that's eternal? Flesh says temporal. Spirit says eternal. Choose this day who you will serve. That's what it really comes down to. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is this working for us? Is this this belief in God working for us? working against us. And Paul realized that his trials were working for him. How could that be, brother? How could being stoned, how could being shipwrecked be working for you? Because if you read uh, Paul's life, and I, if, if I could recommend, I would say start in the book of Acts. Look at all the things that he went through. And he's saying that the trials were working for him. And you can also reference that in Romans 8, 18. His trials were working against him. How could that be? And that is akin to glory and tribulation. I know that the Lord is working in my life. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to go through some challenges. Though he slay me, I'll continue to praise him. Father, we just thank you for uh, your word. And I do pray, Father, that it was rightly divided. 
And if there's been one word that was spoken that discouraged my sister or my brother, Father, I pray that you would just erase it now. We thank you for this opportunity to um, just spend time together with our friends, our neighbors, our sisters and brothers in Christ. And Father, there's nothing better. We thank you for all you've done, all you're doing, and all you're going to do. And we pray, Father, that if anyone here tonight in this building or in the sound of my voice that does not yet know you as a Lord and Savior, that tonight would be the night they will come forward asking, what must I do to be saved? So I do thank you, Father, for uh, this opportunity that, that, that I was given uh, to, to proclaim the word, to proclaim the gospel, to lift up the name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that uh, my sisters and brothers were encouraged by what they heard. Not just the vessel, Father, but what you had me to speak for us, all of us. So we give you thanks now for being our God. And we do thank you, Father, for... uh, your many, many, many blessings. Have your way in this place, Father. Bless every heart that heard the word. In the name of Jesus, our soon returning King, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming out.